Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through cinema. My name is Patrick, and you can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. My name on there is Long Monkey, and you can check out my fiction writing at proleary.com. That's proleary.com. Today I have a special guest. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You know, we've been watching movies together for a million years. I'm very happy to talk about the fun topic you brought with you today. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. So uh, as you know, every episode I do a little dive into a segment of film that I want to explore. And this week, Ed has picked the film topic. But before we get into that topic, I do want to talk about a few movies that I did watch not related to the dive for today's episode. Um, first movie I watched is La Argent by Robert Brisson. Have you seen this one? Have you seen this one? I have not seen this one. It's um, you know, it's it's like a Criterion type movie. I don't know if it's actually Criterion. Nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, it's nineteen eighty-three. I've seen some Brisson movies before. I saw Pickpocket and Man Escaped, and this one is about a counterfeit bill that kind of find some two r- dumb rich kids propagate into the world and it winds up in the hands of some people and it causes someone's life to basically be destroyed and spiral out of control. Um, but what's interesting about the movie, it's how it's shot. It's the, no one has any real facial expressions or reactions or emotions. It's all very deliberate. People always walk very slowly at the same speed and they do things very deliberately. And with that, without, without any, uh, you know, without any like excitement or, or verve or anything like that. And it gives the film kind of an air of inevitability, um, which it just makes it all the more sad because you know that whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. I really like this one. Uh, it's only 85 minutes too. So recommended. Second movie I saw, I don't know, you might have seen this one because it's a new one and you have kids. <laughs> it was Roald Dahl's The Witches. No, I haven't seen that one either. Ah, uh, the new Robert Zemeckis movie from 2020. Um, I never saw the original Witches and I never oh, read the should. book. Oh, yeah, you've seen it? You like it? <laughs> well, it maybe, maybe as an adult it wouldn't have the same effect that it has when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah, every review of the original was like, I can't believe they made kids watch this. It's so creepy. <laughs> but um, this new one is, uh, it's definitely aimed at kids and in a way that just makes it not that interesting for adults. Um, and it's really got a lot of odd uh, story choices that are, I don't know, Zemeckis usually knows how to make a movie. He knows how to make exciting set pieces and kind of tell a cool story. And he's, he's had a lot of misses, but he has a lot of hits as well. And this movie is definitely in the former category. It's a miss. It's there's it's dumb. It's goofy. It has inexplicable, inexplicable choices of uh, what characters are doing and how characters are portrayed and the type of humor that's on display. Uh, and Anne Hathaway is pretty cool, I guess, as the crazy witch. And she's really over the top, which is fun, but that's the only thing I could recommend about it. And I can't even recommend that too much. It gets really annoying after a while. So that was the witches, the Robert Zemeckis. 
Uh, let's see here. The next movie I watch is another bad one. Not really a great run of movies. Centigrade from 2020, directed by Brandon Walsh. Now, Ed, you know the type of movie I love where people get trapped in a place and then for the whole movie, they just takes place in one location and they got to deal with each other. <laughs> it is your favorite, I think. Yeah, this one's about this uh, couple driving through Norway. They're an American couple and they pull over on the side of the road and they wake up and their car is buried in snow and they're trapped in their car and you know have to deal with each other and the thought that no one's coming to rescue them and their phone doesn't work and their car won't start and it's really, really cold and they're running out of food and water, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is that the movie takes place in a car the whole time <laughs> and it's just really, there's not, not much you can do there. Wow. Yeah, also the characters, and you watch a lot of horror movies with me, so you know this, characters are dumb, <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is egregious, how dumb these people are and how they could have been rescued <laughs> multiple times and they just weren't because they didn't do anything. Oh, it's really annoying. I don't recommend this one at all. Centigrade by Brandon Walsh. And then the last movie I'm going to talk about since I kind of wanted to watch something along the same lines as that, I watched Tunnel from Korea. Kim Sung-un, 2016. It's about a man who's driving through a tunnel, and the tunnel collapses on top of his car, and he's stuck in his car. <laughs> um, but this one was much more interesting because it shows uh, people know he's trapped. So a lot of the movie is about the media circus and the rescue effort and everything about trying to get this guy out of this tunnel. And you also get to see him kind of trying to figure out how to survive in the tunnel. So it's pretty cool. It's a solid movie. It's nothing spectacular, but uh, it does a lot of things right. And kind of has one very obvious story moment, which I didn't like at all, but otherwise it's just a solid uh movie if you want to see someone trapped in a tunnel i i I could recommend this one (laughs) so i have a question are you you trying to get more specific with your favorite type of movie so not just people trapped in a place but now people trapped in a car (laughs) no no it's just uh you know it actually there was a letterbox review of centigrade that said don't watch this watch tunnel so i was like oh what's tunnel so i looked it up and that's when i found out that it's available for streaming and i'm like yeah maybe i'll just check this out and see if the they do it better. But it's a very different type of movie because it, it, it shows all the external factors about what's going on in the situation. So there's a lot more films, a lot more characters. The camera can move you know, outside of the car for most of the movie. So, yeah, it, it's, it's better for sure. That's all the movies I watched that were not related to the topic. So would you like to explain what the topic is for today? Yeah, I would, I would love to. Uh, so I chose uh, neo-noir films. Um, when you asked me to, to come on and pick something, that's the first thing that came to mind because there's there's something about neo-noir films that I really enjoy. Um, and I guess I should explain what a neo-noir film is. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's basically, at its simplest, it's new noir. It's the revival of film noir. Um, and film noir are films from the 40s and 50s that are essentially those stylish black and white crime dramas with, mm-hmm. um, you know, like prototypically it's a dark atmospheric film with a protagonist that is usually a private investigator or a police officer or boxer that somehow gets swept into 
like a a darker, more sinister plot or world. Right. right. Um, and neo-noir is uh, basically a new version of that. It's modernizing those. Maybe it's, you don't see the camera angles that you would see in film noir to the degree that you would see them um, then where the camera's on full tilt. Um, mm-hmm. But it still has the the atmosphere. And I guess at the end of the day, the thing that I like the most is that atmosphere becomes almost like a character in the film. I don't know if you would agree with that. For for a lot of films, yes, for sure. I think there's so many tropes of, of noir. A lot have to do with atmosphere. A lot just have to do with characters and, and the... Uh, downward spiral of of what happens to people, <laughs> but yeah, atmosphere is a big part. Yeah, um, so I have a question about the topic. So neo noir, I think you know when you talk about genres, and this was always my concern about talking about genres, people can interpret it a little bit differently. And I'm, so I'm interested to see how our conversation goes because um, we can characterize a lot of movies as neo noir. I think um, oh, depending yes. on how we look at it, right? Oh, definitely. When I was doing some research and figuring out what movies to watch. I was floored by the amount of movies that people considered neo noir. Mm-hmm. I thought this would be a smaller topic, but you know, I literally could have watched a thousand movies in this genre. Uh, I don't know how many of them I would think fit the genre after watching them, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, same, it same a here. lot more than I thought. I I watched four that um, two of which that I really wanted to see that I'd never seen, and you may make fun of me, but um, <laughs> but. Uh, but once I watch them, I don't know for sure that they fit into the category. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. Well, uh, I guess let's jump in and talk about some examples. You want to bring up one you watch that you think is a good neo-noir or at least fits the category? Well, can we give an example of one that we, we can maybe agree that fits the category? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. What do you one, got? That I th- one that I think that epitomizes it, um, mm-hmm. which, which would be Chinatown. Chinatown. Okay. Yes. Right. I think if I think neo noir, that's the, and that's the film that comes to mind. Um, I know it was directed by Roman Polanski, and I mm-hmm. and I understand the controversy that comes with that. But it, right. it is one of my all time favorite films, um, mm-hmm. and it's probably my favorite neo noir. And yeah, I I totally agree. I hate Roman Polanski, but he made a good movie. And this movie is, yeah, it's like it's got a noir screenplay, but it's kind of updated into a more realistic way than the um i guess the the original 40s versions were Mm -hmm. where those were more about well a lot of them just feel more about the mechanics of moving a person through this moody story to their end (laughs) chinatown felt like had more life and more things going on and just filmed in a more modern way but it definitely has it definitely was a noir for sure yeah i agree um, okay, so uh, which one do you want to talk about next? Well, um, when you said you had a good example, I, I for sure thought you were going to say Blade Runner, which was kind mm-hmm. of my the first thing I thought of when we were talking about neo-noir, which I think is a good noir uh, sort of mystery detective story that takes place in the future and kind of has all the same tropes of a noir, just in a completely different setting. Yeah, hands down. That's on my list of, um, I have a list here of all the ones that I think completely define it and that's it fits that category for me as well even uh the newer blade runner 2049 yep did i get that right okay (laughs) um (laughs) i think that's an excellent neo-noir well um yeah well let's talk about what we watched you want to go first since you watched more than i did sure um I, i will give you an example of one that i watched that i 
I think fits more um, definition, mm-hmm. and I can't believe I never saw it before. So this is where I think you might make fun of me: is LA Confidential. Oh, okay, yeah. I won't make fun of you because <laughs> there's a lot of movies I have not seen, but that's that I have seen it, and I really like that one. So I I enjoyed it. Um, this is a, a film that's uh, directed and written by Curtis Hansen, mm-hmm. um, who went on to do some some pretty good stuff. Um, and I think this was a movie that sort of launched him. Uh, I liked it. I had some issues with the the third act, and I don't know if you really want to get into all that, but um, I thought that it it became a very '90s movie, more of a police crime mm-hmm. thriller towards the end. But it it started off as a very neo noir type movie. So where um, so I guess where do you think it, it turned? Because from my memory is. You got this mystery of, um, you know, uh, these murders that are happening, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a moment where uh, we'll go into a little bit of spoilers during this segment because some we might want to do a big deep dive. But there's a moment where uh, Guy Pierce gets the clue of the mm-hmm. Rolo Tomasi <laughs> said to yes. him. And then it kind of turns into an action movie from that point, is I think. If I that's exactly, that's ex- you have <laughs> hit the nail on the head because when he runs back and talks to Russell Crowe and, and essentially almost, he might as well look at the screen and tell the audience, here's where the mystery was. You know, he, he that was a good um, callback to Rolo Tomasi. Is that <laughs> But um, yeah, <laughs> he he practically tells the audience, okay, so the mystery is solved. Now let's have a big giant battle. Okay, um, yeah, I don't remember feeling the juxtaposition there, but it's been a long time since I saw it. So, uh, but yeah, the it definitely feels like a noir up till that up till that point, at least from mm-hmm. what I remember. Agreed. Yeah, that was a good movie. I just got to watch that again. <laughs> um, all right, well, I'm going to talk about the first one I watched for this topic. Uh. Again, you might make fun of me. It's a David Lynch movie, Lost Highway. Oh. From 1997. I would not make fun of you for watching that um, this late in the game, but yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so it's about a jazz musician uh, who played by Bill Pullman, who huh, it's, I can't even describe a David Lynch movie, so I'm just going to <laughs> kind of say that he gets involved in uh, – the death uh, his wife dies and the police think he did the murder. But then there's also this other story of a, uh, another character who, um, gets involved with this woman who looks just like Bill Pullman's wife. And then there's a murder there that gets committed. And, you know, David Lynch is great. I'm not going to go into any more of the plot because it's David Lynch, but (laughs) David Lynch is really great at creating mood and using those, it, it looks and feels like a film noir, even though it, the plot ends up nothing like it. Cause there's a lot of surreal weird moments in it, but I think David Lynch was probably a fan of the genre and then kind of takes those character designs and the, like the femme fatale and the, like the, uh, the soundtracks and, and just ever, anything that kind of oozes the mood from those movies and puts it into this weird, surreal David Lynch nightmare. <laughs> It is what I remember from it is being a little nightmarish, yeah, <laughs> or at least too surreal for to understand. But I haven't seen it since maybe high school. Yeah. So my my thought on the movie as a whole is that it's you know David Lynch does what David Lynch does, and that's it, you know sometimes it's just too much for me, and I'm just like, dude, just take a break, relax. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, man, you're a genius. 
continue what you're doing. And, yeah. you know, I don't know where I fall a lot of times, depending, I think it just depends on my mood. This one, I didn't like as much as Mulholland Drive or some of those other movies, but I appreciate the craftsmanship that went into it. I cre- appreciate his craziness and his uh, ability and desire to do something different. And more movies should do that. Uh, but sometimes it goes a little overboard. And I think in this movie, it, it happens. He might have gone a little overboard. Again, if I watch it, you know, in a year or two, I might think it's the greatest thing ever. I don't know. Depends on my mood. I'd like to, I would like to rewatch that one one of these days. Maybe we can do that. Yeah, yeah. All right. What else do you got? Okay. So I think the next one, I think I want to talk about one that I really enjoyed that I'm glad that I watched, which uh, um, was a film called The Long Goodbye. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah 1970. I've never seen that one. So. Yeah, it's a Robert Altman um, film from 1973. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, you know, it just showed up on a lot of the lists that I was looking at of films that I, that I should see if I was interested in neo-noir. And um, this one stars uh, Elliot Gould as Philip Marlowe. Uh, and it's, it is your typical neo-noir. He is a private investigator. Um, it, it, I think there was some controversy that surrounded it because it's a famous novel and the person who um, adapted it for the screen changed a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of what the character characters did and how they yeah. ended up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything either, but it's it's essentially a, just a really, um, really good example of a film noir and this this private investigator who gets wrapped up exactly what I said in the beginning, um, which he just kind of meets all of these interesting characters who are all trying to manip- manipulate him in some way, shape or form. And he's smart, but people outsmart him along the way. And it just digs him deeper into the plot. Um, oh yeah. It sounds like you're describing a, a noir, like, right. <laughs> like an original noir. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And it has, there was a character in there, that, uh, a, a white, uh, this is one woman who's looking for her husband that he gets hired as a private investigator and he goes to hunt this guy down and he is just a crazy drunk, old guy and um i thought man this actor is really overdoing it but he's impressive and it turns out that it was sterling sterling hayden um, does oh. that name sound familiar to you oh i love sterling hayden yeah i don't think yeah. i've seen him anything in the 70s though um yeah i was i was actually blown away because i watched the whole film and not, did not know that it was him but i thought man that actor is really interesting um and then one other thing is uh, of worth a mention is there was a very familiar character or actor in the film that shows up and a bit part that our friend Eric would love to have seen in there is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really? In the long goodbye? Yeah. Wow. He is, I did not he's know like that. a, he's just like a bond bouncer bodyguard of some of the, the goons that mm. are hunting down uh, Elliot Gould or Philip Marlowe. Maybe we can get him to watch it just because of that. Oh man. <laughs> I, I highly recommend this film. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm an Altman yeah. fan. I'm an Elliot Gould fan, Sterling Hayden fan, Schwarzenegger fan. So yeah, I'll definitely have to check this out. Checks all the boxes. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one I watched, uh, it was a sci-fi film from 1965. Everyone's favorite crazy Frenchman, Jean-Luc Godard. The movie was Alphaville. Oh, Alphaville. Nice. Have you seen Alphaville? I have not seen Alphaville. No. So it's, it's about, uh, again, it's like describing uh, Lost Highway. It's really hard to do with a Godard film, some, some, a Godard film sometimes, but he's an, uh, it's about a private eye who arrives in this city called Alphaville, which looks just like any French city from the sixties, but 
this is a sci-fi future where he took uh, his Ford galaxy from another planet to get there. And he's tasked with finding the creator of the supercomputer that runs Alphaville. The supercomputer has outlawed uh, emotions and expression and love and poetry and things like that. And this guy comes from the outer planets where all that is allowed. And he comes to Alphaville to destroy the creator of this computer. He falls in love with the creator's daughter. And it's shot just like a... um, just like a 60s Godard film, nothing really sci-fi about it. Uh, he's got the tropes of the detective with the trench coat and the hat, and he's not really a detective in this one. He, he, It's hard to explain what the character actually is, even though he's listed as a private eye. But he's doing an investigation trying to find uh, out how this place works and talk to the computer and figure out what's going on. And I'm being cagey about what happens because it's really hard to explain, but it hits all the tropes visually. And then it has a fun Godard spin on it. And the same way that I feel about David Lynch, I feel about Godard. He does a lot of crazy things. And I think at the time cinema needed somebody to kind of break all the rules and uh, just show that that was allowed and that could be done so that other people could take chances. And I think Godard, I'm glad Godard was that guy and Godard was able to do that. But it doesn't always mean his movies are uh, engaging. This one has really great scenes, really great sequences, but overall it, it's hard to hang together for me. Still recommend I was, I was like, You don't recommend it? I still recommend it. Oh, I okay. I, w- I was excited about it because um, I think this is the this is a Criterion, right? It might have been. I don't yeah. remember. I I'd streamed it. So it's been on my it's been on my list for a long time. I never really knew what it was about. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's just it, it, just keep in mind it's like that weird early Godard. Well, his late stuff is weird too, <laughs> but it's just you know it's it's uh, like I said, I'm glad he's around. <laughs> uh, so you have uh, something else, right? I do, and I think. Um... I think I'll skip the bad one and talk about the good one. Um, <laughs> so I, I, this was the one that uh, I was wondering if we would get to, but um, I watched uh, 1986's Mona Lisa. Oh, okay. I'd never seen uh, that one. Yeah, by uh, Neil Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think written and directed. And this is one that's, that stars Bob Hoskins yeah. and, uh, and Kathy Tyson. Um, I, I don't know who she is or what else she's done, but she was really good in this. Uh, and then it also has Robbie Coltrane. Uh, is that ringing a bell? You the know? name does, but I can't place him. It's it's Hagrid from the Harry Potter series. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and Michael Caine, Sir Michael Caine. Ooh, nice. Um, and uh, so the the movie is uh, about Bob Hoskins. He gets out of of prison, and his Bobby, uh, his buddy Robbie Coltrane comes in and picks him up. And he immediately wants to go back to to work um, in whatever kind of crime. You don't know what what he went to prison for, um, but he essentially wants to go find Michael Caine. And uh, Robbie Coltrane tries to talk him out of it, but he he basically gets a job um, driving this 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 Kathy Tyson. I forget her character name in this, but um, uh, basically a low level dri- uh, gangster uh, driver that's running. Um, 
prostitutes around. And he specifically is assigned to, oh, Simone. Simone is her name. Um, driving Simone from place to place um, to her different customers, essentially. And he doesn't really put it all together right away. He's a little slow on it. And um, without giving too much away, he starts to get a little concerned for her because he also has a, a wife that's kicked him out since he's gone to a life of crime, but he has a daughter who's aged while he was in prison and he wants to build a relationship with her. So as he's seeing all these young women in a life of prostitution, he starts to get himself a little bit more um, protective of them and mm-hmm. things sort of go down a path there um, to the point where he falls in love with Simone. And it's just a really, really well done movie. I enjoyed it immensely. Okay, great. Mona Lisa, another Criterion. We're doing Criterion-heavy movies today. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thunk with the two of us talking? I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, just so people know, Eddie and I bonded over uh, Criterion movies way back in the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Right, there's one more I watched that I did really enjoy, and guess what? It's a Criterion movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, John Cassavetes, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie from 1976. Oh, I have not seen that one either, but it was on my list. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, really good. I watched the 148-minute version as opposed to 130, as opposed to the two-hour and 15-minute version or whatever it is. Um, I'm sorry, an hour and 48, not 148. I just checked <laughs> my math there. So that was the version that he re-released a couple of years later where he – did an alternate cut, added some stuff back in, took some stuff back out. And that's the version he prefers from what I understand. Anyway, it's about a nightclub owner played by Ben Gazzara. And side note, Ben Gazzara always looks old, even though he's much younger in this movie from 1976. He just always looks like an old guy. He he plays a nightclub owner who kind of gets in over his head with a gambling debt and then is forced to take on this task of killing a Chinese bookie down in Chinatown because the mob, uh, you know, he can't cover his debt to the mob. And it's filmed very naturally, very gritty, a lot of um, natural dialogue, almost Altman-esque dialogue. A lot of non-actors in this movie too, people that just have never been in another movie before or since. He has some relationships with uh, a lot of people in his club and uh, friends and things, but he's kind of uh, has a life where I think he's searching for meaning. So the movie's more about him kind of coming to terms with the life he's built for himself uh, now that it might almost be over. <laughs> then the instead of the movie being about like the the tense action of trying to you know murder somebody. It's really interesting. It has some beautiful scenes, uh, good use of music. It's all natural music in the movie. So there's a lot of like dance numbers and there's a, um, there's really good dichotomy between that and what's happening like behind the scenes. So really good. I never seen a John Cassavetes movie before, but this one, uh, I really enjoyed that's killing of Chinese bookie. I was not expecting you to say, uh, dance numbers. Yeah, well, he's a nightclub owner. So when I say dance numbers, it's really just showing what's appearing on stage. But yeah, they show like an entire dance number of what's on stage. So it's not a musical, but kind of 
feels like it almost. It makes sense, yeah, yeah. with that context. Um, so that's all I watched. Um, I do want to briefly, you know, throw out some other examples of neo noir that we like that I've seen in the past. So speaking of Bob Hoskins, another great neo noir starring him is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, that's on my list to mention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's that one I love, uh, and that's something I want to just get a nice copy of so I can kind of see the behind the scenes of how they did that. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Zemeckis, right? Isn't that Zemeckis? Yeah, yep. Zemeckis. Yeah. That's back that's in his prime. Yeah. Yeah, it's clever. Just a I really um I haven't seen it in about a year, but um I do try to watch it's one of those movies that I try to keep on regular rotation because it it's so enjoyable, mm-hmm. but um but it plays on those noir um keys perfectly, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What else do you have on your list to uh mention? So I, I have a whole lot here, but um, one that I just really, I, I would be embarrassed if I didn't mention because I think this is such a great example of a really modern neo noir is Drive. Drive, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I, think about that, but you're right. I don't know why, but when I saw that movie, I just I felt um, completely uh, absorbed by the atmosphere of that film. It's not mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of story to it. The acting is pretty pretty great but um but there's not there's not a whole lot to do with it besides ryan gosling but the atmosphere is so thick <laughs> with that film right. it's uh, i love it yeah that's a good one um i'm not a huge fan but i did enjoy it i like the soundtrack a lot there's something about um what's the director of drive uh oh, i forget his name now yeah there's something about his movies that are otherworldly in general Nicholas Winding Refn. Yes. I'm a big fan of uh, the Neon Demon from him, just mm. in general. Uh, but I haven't seen anything that I really liked besides that one. Drive was good, yeah. though. Okay. Uh, speaking of modern movies, I, I, we have to mention Brick. Yes. Yeah, that Where was Re- the next one, yeah. Yeah, Ryan Johnson. Uh, Ryan Johnson. It's, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as basically a, <laughs> he he takes the the noir trope of a detective trying to solve a murder and puts it in a high school. <laughs> so Ryan Gosling's a high school student uh, navigating the uh, shifting alliances of everyone around him, trying to figure out how his ex girlfriend got murdered. Uh, it's, uh, Joseph, it's great. Joseph Gordon Le- Joseph Gordon Levitt, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I think you said uh, Ryan Gosling before, but uh... oh my god, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I have Gosling on the brain like a lot I of know. people. I know. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah, so Joseph Levitt, who's uh, a better actor in my opinion. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, great dialogue. Just a great like terms that feel at home in the noir movies. Because one thing we didn't talk about is noir usually has great dialogue. Mm. And uh, Brick takes that and runs with it. True, and it takes it, it takes dialogue, and I think I've so I've recommended that film to other other people, and they told me that they are um, ashamed that I ever recommended that film, and I said why, <laughs> and they didn't like the dialogue, um, but not just not the way the dialogue was delivered, but some of the phrases they use, um, because uh, because noir does have that historical where there's a you know there's like a I'm, I'm not going to do it any justice, but you know terms like saying perp instead of perpetrator. Um, right, right, right. There's always like a shorthand code yeah. that some of these people speak in these inner CD underbelly kind of worlds. 
And mm-hmm. in Brick, it's teenagers speaking in these terms. Um, like Brick stands for obviously something specific. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and evidently that rubs some people the wrong way. Hmm. Well, who, that's what I know about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to run down on your list? Um. Yeah, I think I, I think another one that I that I like to mention as a really good example is Blood Simple. Okay, uh, yeah. Because I think the Coen brothers do a lot of different genres and they do them really well, but that was one of their early ones. And um, I saw it much later after I was already a, a fan and I was a little concerned because it was so early that I wasn't sure how it was going to play. And it, really good, really. Talk about great dialogue and great acting. Blood oh, Simple God. has it. Yep. Yeah, it's just a really great, well-constructed screenplay, too. It's so it's so tight, and everything just kind of perfectly locks together like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really good at that. That uh, They're just great writers. So I have, I have a lot more, but that, I got it mostly out of my system. I feel really good about having <laughs> talked about these. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, then let's, uh, let's, let's wrap it up and talk just uh, briefly about, you know, um, in general, how we felt about our, our dive into the genre uh, in the past week or two. Um, I'd just like to say that thank you for bringing this topic because it's a treasure trove of really interesting movies that I didn't even think about would be neo-noirs. And then I start doing research and looking at them. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's so much to dive into here. This is just, we're just scratching the surface. There's, there's a lot. And it's all really interesting. Yeah, agreed. I, I think um, I, I'm glad that you asked me to bring one because I, I know that I like neo-noirs, but um, it kind of it forced me to just look at some movies that maybe I, I, I knew I would like to see at some point, but I kept putting it on the back burner and maybe a further back burner and to the point where I'd kind of forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. And now, I, yeah, like you said, it's a tre- treasure trove. So now I know I can dig a little deeper and just go back into neo-noir. So it's exciting. Yeah, great. All right, so uh, I do like to end every episode with an uncommon film recommendation. So for this week, I'm going to recommend something tangentially related to neo-noir. It's a film called Cold Weather, Aaron Katz from 2010. Cold Weather is, a, is, a, is a, one of those mumblecore movies uh, of the mid-2000s where... Um, this young guy moves back to Portland and becomes involved in the disappearance of his ex. He's trying to figure out what happened to her. And it's more about the relationships of him and his sister and some of the other people in their lives. But it has it's very like light and low stakes, even though it's about disappearance of somebody. It's it's never like, oh my God, this guy's going to die, and the you know the the lives are going to be ruined. It's just a nice low stakes mystery with some really fun set pieces and just, just a, like a good attitude and a good uh, and a good screenplay, and it kind of ends on a very nice note. So that's what I recommend: "Cold Weather" by Aaron Katz. Right. All right, so. That was going to be it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Ed, for bringing this wonderful topic. Is there anything you, you want me. to uh, you want to plug? You want people to follow you on Letterboxd or anything like that? <laughs> no, nobody should follow me. Just uh, 
just listen to me next time if if uh, uh, if you have me back. Oh yeah, I'll definitely have you back. We'll have another cool topic, and we'll go from there. So, um, as I said earlier, check me out on Letterboxd, on Long Monkey, and check out my fiction at proleary.com. I just posted about a story that was published in Japan in Atelier Third. So, if you know Japanese, go pick it up and check it out. Uh, otherwise, thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>